virus. Well, back at it again, boys. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Let your mind peel away the mysteries of the world. That's right. I'm talking deep. Razzle drift deep. This is Whiskey, Beer, and Conspiracies Podcast. Oh, by the way, my balls is hot. 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 Hello and welcome to another episode of Whiskey, Beer, and Conspiracies Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Big Country. As always, on the other end of the mic, your two favorite hosts for the evening. Boy, boy is here. And I'm here, Chris. And I'm here. (laughs) Before we introduce tonight's guest, I want to let everybody know, all the truth hooligans out there, that uh, we do have a live GoFundMe right now trying to get some new mics for the show. You can donate to that. We've had quite a few people already donate and... From the bottom of our hearts, we truly thank you for that. It's really been awesome to see that. Um, if you haven't checked it out yet, go check out our website, wbconspiracies.com. I'm going to pull it up on my screen. You guys can't see it, but anybody watching this video can. We do have a shop now, a shop where you can get merchandise for the show, which is a great way to support the show. Excellent conversation starter. Um, there's only three designs up there right now. Um, but there's going to be more by the time this video is released. Um, all different kinds of shirts and designs that we have. All of our shirts, by the way, are made in America. So suck it, China. <laughs> um, so tonight's guest uh, is probably going to be the smartest person we will have ever talked to in our entire lives. <laughs> so joining us tonight is Mark Fiorentino, if I said that right. Yes, that's good. Awesome. I did it, guys. I did yeah. it. All right. All that practice paid off. I'm glad we took a little time in the beginning of the show to do that. Cool, Mark. Thanks so much for being on the show. Um, take a minute to go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Mark Fiorentino. I'm the creator and author of Master of Reality, a book about um, many things. It covers many areas, especially the unified field theory as Albert Einstein imagined it originally uh, before the standard model of quantum mechanics came into play. So uh, basically in this book, I uh, finished the solution for the unified field theory that Einstein started. So that, that really means that he was correct all along. And he had warned about not using quantum mechanics model, uh, but they didn't listen to him. But I went back through history, did the research, concluded he was right and not Niels Bohr and, and all those guys and uh, finished the solution. And you, you may think, wow, that's really something. But um, it it's, wasn't that hard of a thing to solve because I had the right model and it really turned mm-hmm. out to be a fairly simple equation that has been around for almost 200 years or more. And um, okay, once you have the right model and everything makes sense, then it's not so hard. But if you're working with the wrong model as uh, the people who are using quantum mechanics, it's immensely difficult. And they've tried numerous times, at least 28 times, to, to uh, unite gravity to the standard model. So the book is about mm-hmm. that, and there's oh, there's 
things about UFOs and faster than light speed travel, uh, stargates, uh, uh, all kinds of technologies that I, I come up with as a re- result of discovering the true unified field theory. Wow. Right. I think we, we touched on stargates a bit. Uh, I think it was during the last show because I, I went down a little rabbit hole during high school um, when it came to stargates. I found a forum where they were searching for pieces of a stargate uh, in the Middle East. And I, I, I spent, I don't know, countless nights waiting for them because apparently they were going to fire it up at one point and there were people trying to stop them from firing it up. I don't know how much of it was true, but it was a great time yeah. that I had <laughs> looking into stuff. Oh, it's a lot of exciting yeah. stuff in, 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 in this book. Is. And I, I really didn't want to mess with the Stargate. It's like the second to the mm-hmm. last chapter, I think, in the book. But I was advised okay. by very wise people that I should write it up and mention it. And they gave me mm-hmm. some clues to search on the internet, which actually turned out uh, to be extremely helpful it was enough that I could speculate and design a very, you know, very simple, straightforward design for a Stargate, how I think that the United States has done it. Basically, I'm mm-hmm. not disputing that they exist. I'm, I'm saying they, they do. And the United States is already, has one or more of these. Okay. Um, how many of these stargates do you believe there are in existence? You know, I don't, I have no direct, you know, inside inf- information from, you know, uh, the government or anything, at least one. Right. Right. And, uh, yeah, I know the characteristics about how they work in that, um, it, not only can you travel to other regions of this universe, physically, but mm-hmm. you can travel to other dimensions and worst of all, time travel, which I was hoping was not going to be oh. possible, especially in yeah. going back in time. But as I understand it from the people that <laughs> have advised me, mm-hmm. it can be done. So I was alarmed about mm-hmm. that. And I, I warned against doing that in the book. So I, at least at least yeah. one is out there, maybe more. What what are some of the pitfalls do you think if uh, that that time travel is taking place? What what kind of things or negative results can happen? Uh, did you go into that yeah, in your book? Uh, the pollution of the timeline to the point where it's so corrupted, it's it's very difficult to predict what could happen mm-hmm. to us uh, as a result. This current time, I'm very leery of that. Uh, and the, the butterfly effect, you know, a little change here turns into a very big change in the future. So there's right. those kind of dangers. If you don't manage this stuff well, and I'm, I'm betting they don't, there could be big right. problems in our present and in our future. But it's difficult to mm-hmm. say, you know, other than the Mandela effect and what people seem to mm-hmm. notice things are wrong, that they seem to remember a different way. It's going to be yeah, really yeah. difficult to catch that there's changes happening because your memories are going to be altered. They should be, at least. All the mm-hmm. history is going to be altered. Uh, you know, for me, I have no reason. Why would you even want to do this? You know, leave that alone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
That's a terrible it idea. <laughs> every movie, every movie we've ever seen that has time travel in it, it tells you that it's a terrible idea to go into the past, yeah. meddle with some stuff, and and think that you're doing it's, something it for creates better. Paradoxes, and um, you know, I, personally myself, I have a very nostalgic look at the past. I mean, I would love to visit my childhood again, but I know it's mm-hmm. it's dangerous. And you could really mess things up badly. Uh, There's that one Twilight episode, Twilight Zone episode, where Mm -hmm. I think it's a gig Mm -hmm. young or somebody like that, goes back to his childhood days as himself at his current age and sees his younger self. And that's a beautiful movie. But uh, yeah, all in all, it's something that shouldn't be messed with. Yeah, theoretically, it sounds great. Go back and experience something again, a fond memory. But then if you do jack something up, you know, the, the effect that you would have, the lifelong effect that you would have is, is way, way too risky. I wouldn't be, you know, the, the reward, risk reward for me would be way too high to to screw something up. Go back, you know, where I'm at right now. Like I have a beautiful wife and four beautiful kids. And then I'm like, Oh, I'll go back and, you know, I'll meet my wife sooner. And then what if something, I screw something up and then that alters my whole future right now where I'm yeah. at. You come back and you're in a home alone and you got no kids and no wife and you can't explain it. I mean, that, that'd be, oh, yeah. oh, be awful. Break, that's a, break your mind. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, it would yes, shatter you. Definitely. Um, did, did Albert Einstein have any theories on time travel itself? Um, other than dealing with special relativity and the mm-hmm. effects on the rate and flow of time. Not that I saw in any of my readings so far. Um, right. He wasn't really, you know, the big science fiction thing wasn't, you know, really catching on in his yeah. time. It was pretty much straight practical science. What's real. Okay. So yeah, we lost uh Wi-Fi. It, Mark, I tell you, we start talking about time travel, we talk about government conspiracies, boom, internet shuts down. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wonder about that. Um so far I haven't had any problems with anything. I, I worry about that sometimes, but I was so worried about it all. Nobody's too. messing with me and that's good and I'm happy. Yeah, that's a good thing. No, that's a great thing. Um boy, you had asked before we lost connection there about uh, if Einstein had a had an opinion basically on time travel yeah. um, and pretty much it, it was he, he he just did, uh, you know, practical science, um, not so much of of the uh, time travel science fantasy type stuff. Um, one of the things here I was looking at the notes and uh, anti-gravity was probably one of the things that jumped out at me the most, um, especially when it comes to, you know, you hear people like Bob Lazar talking about working at Skunk Works and working with UFOs and how we already have anti-gravity technology. Um, can you yeah. tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, in, in my theory, the theory is super relativity. Uh, since I was working on gravity, once I had solved the mechanical cause, how you – how gravity is created, which mm-hmm. really comes from uh, Einstein's happiest thought. Um, once you have that, you realize that gravity is simply a contraction of space. Okay. So I thought, well, let's say if anti-gravity exists, then it's got to be the reverse of that, which is an expansion of space. Mm-hmm. 
So using only particles that we have that we know exist, not making up any particles, I don't do that, uh, not like quantum mechanics. Um, using the particles we have, I realized the only one that would be possible to do anything in the anti-gravity realm would be the electron, the motion of the electron and use of magnetic fields, which in part I became aware of the magnetic field as being the the source of what could be used for gravity shielding and anti-gravity. When I was a kid reading books about um, UFOs, and mm -hmm. I, I remember reading one particular article where the the Air Force guy went out to a landing site with a magnometer. <laughs> and so I'm reading this, analyzing, and says, why did he, why is he taking a magnometer? Yeah. He knows something. And I remember them saying that they, they picked up a great, a blade of grass and it was magnetized. Oh, wow. And I'm saying, whoa, that takes a lot of magnetic yeah. flux to do that. So at that point, that stuck in my head. And I says, well, magnetism has something to do with anti-gravity. I don't know what yet. And that now I'm, I'm only, you know, in my teens. Yeah. But I stored that away all the way up until I, I began writing this book and realized that I could work out a scheme where magnetism uh, uh, results is actually what a magnetic field is, is a rotation of space. Right. So anything you rotate, if that space is a, in this case is a quasi elastic solid, when you rotate it like that, it stretches and stretching is an expansion of space. Mm. So now I have a, um, pattern here that makes sense i got a solution so i i understand really now how magnetism mechanically does the job of stretching right. space causes it to expand blocks the gravitational field from coming up so if you have a uh, a ufo or whatever with uh -huh. uh, superconducting magnets most likely they're using room temperature coils of, of wire that are the superconducting magnets and they're throwing out this heavy duty flux. Uh, you get enough of it out there and especially if you rotate it, I have a feeling the motion of the magnetic field also enhances the anti-gravity effect. And there's traces that they're doing that on landing sites, crop circles. Right. They're either bent clockwise or counterclockwise. Yeah. Only can happen if that magnetic field is rotating. Exactly. There's evidence. People just got to notice this evidence and, and put the, connect the dots in these yeah, things. Right. So I did that in my book. I laid it all, I pounded away at all of that stuff and built a case for anti gravity and how to build, uh, you know, uh, anti gravity um, devices. And I used something that I discovered ultimately, which is the, the slip wave. Mm -hmm. which I discovered exists inside particles. And they have propulsion using this same method I'm describing where you're stretching space. You create a pressure gradient within each particle, and that is what I call a slip wave. And that's the same thing that UFOs use using magnetic fields. They create a magnetic field. Let's say you have these, the classic cigar shape. Right. So you have rings, concentric magnetic coils. One next to the other, next to the other, all the way across. So if you want to go this way, you start with this ring with the least strongest magnetic field. 
then the next ring is slightly stronger. Mm-hmm. The next ring is slightly stronger. And then the strongest is on this end. And that thing rockets in that direction because of the pressure wave. Of oh. the, it's sensible, <laughs> it's logical, and it's yeah. got to be the way it works. Absolutely. Not, not only do you get the benefit of propulsion using this method because you create an internal pressure wave in certain, you're in a bubble basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you, you cause, uh, you, you affect two properties of space. Remember, this is a spatial bias drive. And that's what I'm talking about here when I talk about the slip wave spatial bias drive. So this not only provides you with anti-gravity, it blocks out gravitational attraction, it bulges space on this end and pushes like a bubble going rising through water. That's the right. same thing that causes a bubble rise, rise is pressure on the bottom of the bubble pushing it up. So pressure is the key <clears throat> for motion and movement. So not only do we, we affect these uh, the the density of space and 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 uh, the expansion of space, but a very important thing happens: you adjust the permittivity and permeability of space. Once you master these two spatial properties, you can adjust the speed of light to any number you want, and you have to do that. Oh, if wow. you're going to go out into outer space and travel to the next star that's 64 light years away. You can't take 64 light years to get there. It's not practical. It's not useful. Everybody be dead and gone before you get where you're going. Right. You have to get there like in 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it's very unsafe to travel in a slip wave. Uh, If you feel drops while you're moving beyond the speed of light, it's instantaneous death. Yeah. So you have to be flying in a very reliable machine with a lot of redundancy and such. And you have to get there quickly because taking your time isn't <laughs> going to work because if anything goes wrong, you're gone. And there's right. no calling the Scotty to fix it. <laughs> Before you get the Scott, it's gone. <laughs> That's it, yeah. <laughs> you're done. You're, you're, all the Lorenz uh, transformations, the physicists will know what I'm talking about here, kick into effect. They become real. Uh-huh. And your contraction of length happens instantaneously. If you're going 50,000 times the speed of light, which is very possible, absolutely with the slipway spatial bias drive, there's no problem to go 50,000 times the speed of light. You're going to wow. get to where you're going in a hurry. And yeah. our friends, the, the aliens, obviously, obviously have accomplished that because they're coming from other star systems. Right. And, and and you just can't go the speed of light. It's too slow. Yeah. And, and and you have to be shielded from the Lorenz transformations, the contraction of length, the increase in mass, time dilation. All these things are going to mess with you if you do it like if you're using rockets to go to the speed of light. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to have all kinds of serious health problems using that method when you get close to the speed of light. Right. But this shields shields your ship and the inhabitants from all of those nasty things that are going to happen as you approach the speed of light. So now you're in this bubble. It's like you're floating. Mm -hmm. You don't feel any inertia. Mm -hmm. Which You'll notice when people talk about UFOs and they're making all these amazing 90-degree 
maneuvers in in space, you know, we couldn't do that in a jet. Inertia would, yeah. would knock you out or kill you. I mean, right. you're going to hit 40 or 50 Gs, you're not going to make it. No, you uh, but, but they do that, and it's no big deal. It's because what they feel inside is absolutely nothing. There's no inertial effects, and this makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's the only way this can be done. So that's what my my book details. That's amazing. How incredible. So at, at faster than the speed of light travel, how do you come out of something like that safely? Yeah, it's a very important question. Very important point. You must know your your absolute speed, mm-hmm. which is the, what scientists say can't be done because special relativity. Well, it, it can. Um, the safest way when you're – well, the way I imagine it is you you pick a target. Mm-hmm. You're going to approach that target. And as you get within a, a close range, you match your speed. You deliberately, you know, reverse the, the magnetic okay. field. You have to actually slow the ship down to where whatever is that area and whatever right. that is moving at. And oh, then, okay, okay. then you drop the magnetic field don't drop the magnetic field until you've actually <laughs> you you have to slow your rate you have right. to know what your rate is relative to the absolute background and the way to do that is all the planets and the stars they're they're moving at like less than one percent the speed of light so we don't notice the contraction of space right. and the increase in mass we just it just feels normal to us mm-hmm. And uh, so once you do that, you get to your star system, you know, it's safe. Uh, and I'm sure there's some way computer, you know, with calculations or whatever, you crank it up and it knows what you're going relative to the absolute stationary background. And it, it could take you out in mid space somewhere. But right. that's the way to do it. You mm-hmm. you actually do have to slow down for it. You just can't. Oh, I'll just turn off the magnetic fields and I'll slow down. Yeah, you'll slow down. Yeah, you're going to turn into a puddle at that point. (laughs) So so that's a good question. It's an important point. And so there's a lot of safety considerations when you're designing these starships. you got to really have a clear understanding of physics involved in this or it's everybody's dead. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you know, some of the some of the things that you had brought up, Mark, it, it, it makes sense to me um, because by trade, I'm an electrician. So uh, I understand that or the, the way that a transformer works. I also understand that two opposing magnets by shaking them opposite direction of one another, you can create um, voltage in between those two. Um, so. When you are talking about these things that you have discovered, like the slip wave, um, w- was this through your career that you've discovered this? And then, you're, and then you, when you discovered exactly it. Exactly right. If okay. I hadn't, you see, life, fate, and and destiny, and free will go hand in hand together through life, through your life experience. This applies to everybody. If I had not been trained in electronics. I wouldn't have started thinking about how the electrons move in a wire. Mm-hmm. And the more I thought about that, the more I imagined it. I, you know, I just naturally did what Einstein did. I did lots of mind experiments. So I'm visualizing electrons flowing through the wire and how they're being guided by the electrostatic field. And, and as you say, how 
how when an electron, this is a very important point. When an electron moves, a charge moves, something very important happens. It always happens. And it only happens when the electron moves. A magnetic field is created. Mm -hmm. The motion of charge always creates the magnetic field. So that's two-thirds of the unified field theory. The motion of charge, it's a twist. A charge is a twist of space. And this goes back to the days of Maxwell and the guys that were working on um, what particles were really like in that time. And they came up with the vortex theory. So when a charge moves, it's a twist of space. Elect- electron, uh, for you guys, I know the people can't see it, but mm-hmm. it looks like that. Mm-hmm. Right. It starts at a point and gradually goes up. The space is turning and in uh, and stretching out and enlarging slightly. Um once this this happens, you have the magnetic field emerges into reality. So now you have electromagnetism. So what was left was the way to find the emotion of electromagnetic particles could create a gravitational field. And I succeeded in working out mechanics of that. And it's like Newtonian mechanics. It's not like, <laughs> you know, the stuff that they're doing with, you know, string theory is yeah, yeah. complex stuff. And it's sadly, it's never going to pan out. Yeah. That, that's some, uh, string theory and, uh, you know, all, all this, the, the quantum, this and that, all of that stuff. It, like you said earlier, you're not making up particles and things like that. Now, now no. why, why I've always wondered why they do that. Are they just trying to create an answer for an idea that they have? Well, that's a tricky question because I can say what I think, and it's an opinion. Right. Uh, but let's just say they found something that works for them. Okay. Okay. They got a whole system put together, a whole momentum and inertia where, hey, we got mathematics. We know using this machine we built that we could use these formulas and we could predict new particles. And then we go and do that, you know, then we'll win the Nobel Prize and we'll you know, have everybody have a champagne party and we'll have <laughs> something to do tomorrow. Right. So we've got a whole system that kind of works for us. So uh, quantum mechanics and being able with all these formulas to predict new particles, we're basically they're do- doing it with particle collisions mm-hmm. who cares yeah they're particle to particle interactions that's not what the foundation of reality is all about in my book i make it very clear it's not about forces action at a distance isn't about particle to particle interactions so the strong and weak nuclear forces throw them out yeah they're not even forces they are interactions leaving at that the true forces are magnetism electrostatic fields, and gravity. Right. These forces come about as a particle to space interaction. So Mm -hmm. you have to have an ether. And so in the book, I pound away at that. I prove the ether exists beyond any shadow of a doubt. Let me me say this, Mark. So full disclosure, like some of this is going right over my head. Um, (laughs) But admittedly, also, I am a flat earther. I know I'm the crazy one in the group here. Um, (laughs) But I've noticed that and you had talked about ether. And I've noticed that a lot of um, 
scientists don't believe in ether. They just right. don't. They don't add it into any of their Mm-mm. calculations or or anything like that. And that's is that because I mean, what would it do to their their field of study if they actually accepted ether? Well, in my opinion, again, uh, <laughs> right, right, because right. I've thought about this question, it would demolish quantum mechanics mm. because now we have a, a cause, something that can be used to determine the results of experiments, especially. It, when properly understood, the Michelson-Morley experiment is is explained. Uh, that really messed everybody up, and that's what led to the abandonment of the ether. That and actually Einstein, which I go into in the book too, why he abandoned for a short time. He abandoned the ether because mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm familiar with the Michelson-Morley experiment. That was to see how. Um, fast light traveled with a telescope, I believe? Well, it was to determine uh, uh, the Earth's motion relative to the ether. And so they had lights going, uh, light beams going at right angles, and they thought they would would be able to detect an ether wind, and they did not. And everybody misinterpreted that, including Einstein. Mm -hmm. And so now we don't really have a proper understanding of special relativity. And you can imagine when I pr- bring that up on physics websites, how angry oh, yeah. <laughs> really could get. Um, yeah. But these physicists, those guys on websites, they're not the main guys. The cool guys are the big dudes who are self-confident and self-assured, and they don't get angry. But these other guys, yeah, the, the average Joe Blow physicist really gets pissed <laughs> off when you bring up the ether. They just yeah. hate it. Yeah. Well, it's a shame. It's a shame for them to abandon that idea because it didn't pan out the way they thought. Right. Um, so, so they took that avenue to try and see if there was an ether win and it didn't work and they just kind of threw their hands up. Well, they just said no ether win, no, no ether win equals no ether. And right. so it's a shame because, because it seems like that's a lot of wasted time for them to, you know, between that test and now, They've abandoned the idea of ether when they could have been researching other ways to detect the ether. Well, the explanation is really right in Einstein's special relativity, but nobody got it. Mm-hmm. Nobody made the cosmic connection. Mm-hmm. The reason they didn't detect an ether wind is clearly stated in the explanation of special relativity. It's because photons always go at the same speed. Their motion is independent of the motion of any emitting source. Mm. So what I'm saying is it doesn't matter that Earth is moving through space like this and you got this setup, a stationary setup with you know light beams going back and forth. It's not going to detect any sort of motion relative to the ether because the photons have independent motion. Their motion is autonomous. It's caused internally to the photon. So their motion relative to the ether and all other moving objects will be one constant number. So that experiment never had a chance detecting Mm. the ether wind. Wow. It's just that simple. Yeah. And and there's, and they don't get that. Yeah. (laughs) And I've tried to explain that, but look, it's simple. The whole experiment was misinterpreted and worse when Einstein knew ahead of time. Yeah. He was watching the experiment. He was in contact somehow with more Michelson and 
and uh, was aware that the results were going to be announced in just a few months uh, after his his announcement. So he put special wording in special into special relativity, saying, "I don't need an ether. We don't need an ether. Uh, these equations work without it." And boom! The next thing you know, everybody dropped the ether altogether. Wow! Catastrophic result for physics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, once you explained it, I understood it, and I'm definitely not that smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a perfect sense, we could make. It's possible, I believe, to make a uh, motion detector, but mm-hmm. you have to use particles with mass, and their motion has to be generated externally. Right as would be in the CERN particle uh, the collider. Right. It's going around in a ring. Yeah. Okay, you got east and west tunnels, north and south tunnels, and you could measure this um, beam mm-hmm. strength. And I will bet you any kind of money in December, January, every year, they have beam problems in the east and west tunnels. So I would have to find some guy that runs maintenance in those areas. Yeah. You have to recalibrate your beam strength in the east and west tunnels in de- December and January. I bet you he says yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's your Mark, what's your take on CERN? Good idea? Bad idea? <sighs> yeah, I'm going to have – I love physicists. I do. But I'm going to have to say what I think about CERN. They're running down a rabbit hole. It's a waste of money. They've gone as far as they, we've discovered all we needed to know about this, the fundamental particles and all these other ones that they're inventing and, and creating is just little value add to the future of mankind and physics in general. But you know what? They're going to ask to be, build a bigger one so they can squeeze out a few more particles. Mm-hmm. I think and- it's a waste of money and a waste of time and a waste <laughs> of their careers because they need to be working on stuff like room temperature superconducting wire, although I suspect it's probably been discovered and covered up. Yeah. But, you know, if we're building – UFOs, and I know we are, <laughs> they must have figured out the room temperature or they're buying their hardware from uh, some alien source somewhere. Right. It's one of the two. And uh, we need to be working on a power source because it takes a lot of energy to generate the power to go into those coils. Right. Oh, yeah. So this is what I would like to see physicists working on and, you know, lay off all of this other stuff. You know, with yeah. the particles, I think we've gone as far as we can go, and they need to let that abandon that, and then move in this other direction back into classical physics. Physics, because there's still equations to be discovered, uh, mm-hmm. especially concerning the slip wave. There's work to be done there, and um, and anti gravity. There's plenty of work to to do, and imagine what we could do if we could. Communicate with other species on other planets and learn what they know. Oh yeah, science could expand tremendously as yeah. a result of being able to get our butts off this planet. Absolutely. Yeah. If they narrowed the focus into, like you said, more practical science, I, I think we'd yeah. be in a much better place. There's really no applications benefit <laughs> to any yeah. discovering. I don't care. Those particles are meaningless. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was there was a lot of concern when they were getting ready to fire CERN up that it was going to have real life effects um, if they got it wrong, 
you know, they were, people were worried about black holes, people worried about tears and reality and things like that. Do you, do you think any of that might've taken place at all? Well, well, we got 2020. So there's that. <laughs> well, I, I think that I, someone I, went back and fucked something up, and now this yeah, one's getting someone stepped on a butterfly at some point. Dude, I, I think the only thing that they could really do is create neutronium, mm-hmm. and that would be smashing neutrons together. If they could hold them together, they would make a speck of neutronium. That's pretty heavy stuff, uh, but not enough to destroy the world. I don't think they could make a black hole. That makes me feel bit better about everything. <laughs> but if they did, it would be a neutron. Because in my book, I talk about black holes. I talk uh-huh. about how the, what they're made of, how yeah. they really function. And it's neutronium. The cores of black holes are neutronium. Yeah, clearly, extremely heavy mass. Yeah, it's, clearly the evidence is there. And again, they misinterpreted things. And they never made the connection that, hey, when you have a supernova, what's left? Neutrons black are. Hole. Yeah. And right. if you have a super, super big nova, what's left? A black hole. Uh-huh. Well, if we had a neutronium and then we got something denser, it was probably just denser neutronium. And when and you can apparently make, since it's a neutrally charged object, you can really pack it tight because it doesn't have a repulsive force like the proton, the proton would be. You can't make a proton star. It's just not going to work. The repulsive force of the protons uh, is just going to keep it from getting that dense. Right. So neutronium is the perfect source to have. And in my book, I predict that all stars formed from neutronium cores, Mm. which happened when the Big Bang occurred. Right. So that's all it's explained in the book as well. So fascinating. Yeah, like, you know, I'm like, I'm over here like, all that. <laughs> um, Mark, you, you mentioned something um, you call the signature of God. What is that? Well, that that is, uh, I went Indiana Jones there uh, <laughs> on, that, on that area. I, um, you know, sometimes you just get an inspiration. And, you know, most of my inspiration really comes from Einstein. And I knew that he was working on some, when he was working on a unified field theory, he was looking for a um, a dynamical geometry. What's that? Uh, it's a geometry of something that's in motion. And But Einstein didn't know about the three quarks. He died like nine or ten years before they discovered the quarks inside of the neutron and the proton. If he had known that and had enough time, he would have solved the unified field theory. He mm-hmm. was just born too early. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he had an idea that if you had, see what you need is something in accelerated motion. And he, he was working on it, but he didn't want to tell anybody too much of the details, because they might get the idea and steal it from him. Yeah. Absolutely. So he kind of laid low, but basically he was looking for something, some sort of convolutions, twists of space, you know, he's on the right track and um, moving in a rapid motion. And it's important to realize that acceleration and gravity are the same thing. That's the source of gravity, but nobody knew why. Why, you know, Einstein created the equivalence principle. He basically said, acceleration and gravity are the same thing but but explain that mechanically to me mm-hmm. so i had to dig for that one 
and I, I found it in Einstein's happiest, happiest thought. And um, I'll read it to you. This, this is the whole formation of gravity right now. Mm -hmm. This is where I got the idea from, <clears throat> from him. Einstein followed the line of reasoning that began with his happiest thought of his life. Still at the Swiss patent office, he conducted one of his famous thought experiments. Einstein imagined a circle spinning in space. The center of the circle did not move, but its circumference was moving quickly in a circular direction. Einstein compared what happens in several reference frames, a standard tool he had used in developing the special relativity. Now, underline this in your mind and bold it. He concluded, using his special relativity, that the boundary of the disk contracted as it spun. There was a force acting on the circle at the boundary, the centrifugal force, and its action was analogous to that of the gravitational force. That's the same stuff. That's where gravity comes from. Uh, but the same contraction that affected the outer circle left the diameter unchanged. Thus, Einstein concluded in a way that surprised even him, the ratio of the circle to the diameter was no longer pi. He deduced that in the presence of a gravitational force or field, the geometry of space was non-Euclidean. That means it bends. Right. And that means, as I see it, I looked for this words contracted and gravity anywhere I could find it in the same paragraph yeah. sentence. And I finally did it. And it's in what he called his happiest thought. Mm. Why was it his happiest thought? Because he understood finally the cause, the central cause for gravity. It's accelerated, um, unbalanced charges in accelerated motion causes a contraction of space in and around those particles as they move. Wow. And that contraction of space is gravity. So now we have the solution, a mechanical solution <laughs> that fully explains what gravity is once and for all. That's in this book. Yeah. Man. That's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm so dumb. I'm so dumb. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, you know, I want to straighten out something here. I'm not really any kind of wizard genius. I'm an uh, ordinary guy that somehow managed to do an extraordinary thing. Right. This, I will admit, is extraordinary. It definitely is. Absolutely. I, I'm just, uh, you know, I was a technician. I did some software and programming and so forth, and I love technology. They're not going to go easy with this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the, quantum, the quantum stuff seems a little too flashy for me. You know what I mean? Uh, Brian, maybe this will, uh, I'll try to help us understand it in, in my thinking. So, you know, Brian, practical jujitsu, old school jujitsu, right? Then you have the guys who want to do worm guard. They, you have the guys bearing bolo rolling and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, that stuff is cool, but do we need it? It doesn't make jujitsu work any differently. You right. know what I mean? It, no, it works yeah. better with the fundamentals. See, that makes sense in my head. <laughs> you just broke that down. Because that's what I'm picking up, you know. Um, so with, with the knowledge that you're you're putting on us and, and putting out there, where where do we go? What's the next logical step? What comes after this? Now yes. that we've just, you're working this discovery, what are the benefits that it can have for us going forward? Yeah. And what's going to stop 
those benefits, you know, who's going to stop us from um, exploring these avenues? Because if you're going after quantum me- uh, mechanics and shooting down this principle that's being worked right now, this is a whole nother avenue. I, I feel like there's going to be mass pushback from everybody else out there, right? Yeah, I, it has. I'm still flying under the radar. You know, if I were to be on some big TV show or something and say all this stuff, there's going to be a lot of physicists that see this and they, they're they going to go out there and start, you know, pounding away at me. Yeah. Uh, but still, so far, I'm getting the message to the people and I'm hoping that a few of them are physicists and right. I'm hoping that they have open minds. What I need is the same thing Einstein had. I need a Max Planck. And anybody who knows the history of physics knows that if it wasn't for Max Planck, we would have never heard of Einstein because mm-hmm. he pulled his first paper, that special relativity paper, and say, hey, this this guy knows what he's talking about. And then he yeah. put it in front of other people and they started talking and they started, you know, got him and hired him. And he was working in a patents office. Yeah. He was going nowhere. And yeah, it's a, it's. It's a real shame that that you're having issues or that you would receive pushback at all because you would figure, especially in a scientific field like that, that people would be at least willing to have the discussion. And, and, and you know, you can you can bump your ideas back and forth off each other and figure out what makes sense to them. Maybe, you know what I mean? Um, there and, may be some out there. I, you know, yeah. I haven't, you know, I haven't hit that big wave yet where, you know, right. there's this big moment where somehow I get on national TV or something and say all this stuff. Right. And then they react. There'll be, I would imagine 80 or 90% will go nay. Yeah. Ah, get them. And the other <laughs> 10% say, I've been waiting for this guy for years. Right. Right. I've yeah. been waiting for this day. I mean, I mean, this is why you guys have these kind of shows and the people listen to these kind of shows. They're exactly. waiting to hear something true Something mm-hmm. important, something amazing, and Absolutely. tonight, tonight they're getting it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. exactly what they've been waiting for all these years. So when I go on these shows, it's a pleasure for me to do this because I'm making a little nice little package of history for everybody right. to enjoy. Uh, but if I'm, I don't know if I'm ever going to break through, and I. I don't know. I'm, I'm just on the adventure right now. Yeah. I'm trying the best I can what's available to me. People who have open minds like you that are listening and critically analyzing and evaluating this and coming up with questions. And hopefully we can make a dent in, yeah. in this reality. And maybe somebody out there will listen and uh, put me on some other show or I don't you know, I don't know what. Yeah, I think it's got to be that's where it starts, right? Because the truth seekers out there, the critical thinkers that are out there, they they hear stuff like this and then they run with it, and then it keeps growing, and then they'll do their own research and they'll they'll look and say, hey, yeah, this makes a lot of sense to me, and I need to get this out, or hey, have you heard this? I mean, this is a great thing you need to listen to, and that's I keep telling my kids that are growing up behind me, like I want them to be do so much better. I want them to be critical thinkers. I want them to go out there and learn on their own. Don't take anything that someone says to you as a fact do your research find your truth find you know do the work and that's where you know the great awakening will happen is when people are out there looking for that information and they they find something and they grab it and then they can run with it yeah so it may not be 
our show tonight and maybe the next one or you know something else someone takes it and then yeah. and then really runs with or, it or this could spark the mind of someone similar to yourself and and start a whole underground movement of yeah you know. well I, in in my book the last chapter on call to action i basically say we the people especially you physicist guys can do an experiment that proves everything i say Absolutely. You do this experiment, and there's several in the book, but one in particular, the magnetic experiment. You do this, you'll discover anti-gravity. Now, have people already done it? Yeah. Have mm-hmm. they discovered it? Yeah. Have they been shut up? Yes. Mm-hmm. Eugene Pachlinoff and uh, uh, Ning Lee and you name them. You know, they, hey, they say we, when we were rotating this magnetic field here, this um, – we notice there's a slight drop in the mass or the weight of these objects that are suspended above it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, NASA takes them in for a while and they buddy up to them. Hey, let's try it. Oh, we can't verify it. doesn't verify here. Why don't you come to work for us at Boeing in our anti-gravity department and we never hear from them again? Or yeah. how about I put $500,000 in your bank account and you work on something else? Yeah. That's Which, the conspiracy. Yeah, that is the conspiracy. That's, That's the conspiracy, conspiracy right for the show, right? Well, yeah. it's really happening. <laughs> exactly. Well, you have guys like Bob Lazar who who said that they actually witnessed this type of stuff taking place. They they watched the use of anti-gravity machines in UFOs that were being built based on technology received from alien counterparts. I'm sure and, all that's happening. Yeah, and and he, you know, he had mentioned all of this way back when, and they dragged him through the gutter. They they ruined his career. They tried to discredit his his accomplishments and his uh, his education, and it was it was a terrible thing to see because now he's uh, very afraid to speak out about some of the things that he's witnessed and seen. Um, but uh, there's no reason to not believe the guy, um, and and it's okay to be critical, right? But for for people to to intentionally destroy his whole entire life over it makes me think that the things he was saying have to be true or at least close to the truth because they wouldn't put that much time and effort into destroying his whole life. Yeah, he certainly had a challenging life. Uh, Absolutely. I feel for the man. Mark, do you think, uh, again, in your opinion, do you think um, Nikola Tesla – had discovered some of these very same things and it was suppressed and uh nikola tesla had the belief in the ether as well but he thought it was a fluid mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't mm-hmm. right um, but he was he was a great genius i mean that guy was a visionary and he understood electrons and electrostatic fields magnetic fields he really had that in his head, he visualized it in a way that he had a deep understanding. Uh, but uh, I heard that the FBI came in after he died and took his papers. Yeah, you have to realize a lot of his work. He he was working on you know radio controlled uh, machines, you know drones, if you want to call them that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> way 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 before anybody. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. Had a little submarine in the pool and he can make it dive and go up and down. He would send a little beep and a boop and, and <laughs> right. It was crude stuff, but yeah. You know, 
it worked and it demonstrated the capabilities of way ahead of his, way ahead of his time. Oh, yeah. So that stuff back then was definitely secret, top secret or whatever. And who knows what else he had? I don't know. He had a death ray thing going. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've read a couple of books about him. He fascinates me, but um, who knows? Who knows? You know, there's, you know, I think I heard somewhere when somebody said that life is, truth and reality are stranger than fiction mm-hmm. and that be, would be a guy that would be the case certainly my life is way weirder and stranger than anything <laughs> you've seen a science fiction movie yeah I, I can't even tell it all because it's beyond believable and i just don't even attempt it but um well speaking of that um there was uh, something in the notes here about um, your guardian angels visits from from guardian angels, and is, is that one of the stranger than fiction? Yeah, in that direct, I have a whole parallel path going. I have my science studies, and, and then there's this mm-hmm. other thing going on the spiritual realm, which I studied very much so, uh, having to do with that NDE that's in my book where I talk right. about the. Uh, uh, signature of god i mean that's where i got i worked through this whole linking thought pattern for the signature of god which said i thought well maybe god signed the universe somehow like an artist signs a picture so i knew that uh you know i i I knew that einstein was working on the dynamical geometry that what we were talking about earlier and I said, well, the signature would be everywhere and in everything, but impossible to see. And that just popped into my head. Okay, so now I got a riddle. And But it was like, ah, yeah, that's easy. It's inside the atom. Mm. We'll never be able to see those quarks in motion. Right. We'll never be able to visualize that. Because if you want to see them, you got to bounce something off of them. And when you do that, you disturb them and you can't see it. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that we could look and see that those things because they're invisible. Right. So the signature is there. That's where he signed his work for this universe because without that mechanism, we would have not have gravity. We would not have matter. And we would have basically a, a universe that was just black. Yeah. So using the NDE uh, idea, I thought, well, Einstein, again, said something that made me think. He said, I want to know God's thoughts. The rest are just details. So I I was working with that idea, and I said, how can I know God's thoughts? That would be handy. If you want to go to the – if you want to find out how something works, you go to the source. Right. Go right. to the creator, and you ask him. That's what I used to do in electronics in the IBM and when I was a software engineer. I would ask the guy who wrote the program or made the device, how does this work? Why is it malfunctioning? Yeah. And I found out how it works. So mm-hmm. I said, well, let's just go to the source on this one. Let's ask the creator. Who would, who can do that? People that die. Mm. They talk to God. So I'm thinking to myself, well, if God wants me to know, he'll send a message. So I'm going to go looking for somebody who has an NDE where they see a dynamical geometry, which by the way, is pretty rare. NDEs, you know, they see the light, they see, right. see the relatives, they see all beauty, flowers. They don't see geometry, but one lady did. <laughs> and, wow. she, and I knew if I had the right geometry, it would have three elements. 
Why three elements? Three quarks inside of the atom, mm. both the neutron and a proton. So I knew whatever that structure would, was going to have three elements, three bands, three something. And what does she see? A trefoil knot, the size of you know the entire sky with a sphere rotating and all these other geometries. And God says to her, I am the energy that forms mass. Like, it's like, whoa, that's my theory. I'm saying the motion of particles creates the gravitational field mass. And so I got my, I got, I called her, I called her up. I wrote her emails. We talked, I joined her group for a while. Uh, And so that's how I, I came up and it was with the help of an NDE who saw exactly what I was looking for. And I included that, that your foil pattern is the most sensible pattern for how quarks move inside of the neutron and the proton. They hold together because it's a knot. Mm-hmm. That's the strong binding force, not the, not the, the glue on, which is, uh, I don't want to get into that. <laughs> and it's boring, but basically it's non-existent. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the, the, the mechanism because that foil pattern is precessing and it's spinning and it's doing it at 99% the speed of the light. And what you get is a spinning sphere. And if you go back to what I said about Einstein's happiest thought, a spinning sphere will create mm-hmm. more mass. It will create gravitational field. That's what you need. That's what this object is. That's the signature of God. That wow. is so interesting. <laughs> Now, Mark, that's the, uh, I guess you could call it a symbol that you have on your website, correct? It's the triangle, three-dimensional the sphere, and the trefoil knot. That is. Well, it's also unique in in a sense of you you knew you would be looking for something of three, right? And then you, you, she tells you about the trefoil knot, and then if you look at it from, if God told her that, I am what does this, and this is how this is represented, and it's in threes, like like the Trinity, yeah. all things in threes. That, that's so. That's man. That blew my mind just now. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. not just a coincidence. There's a plan. This that is, is amazing. So now you're discovering that this universe was an intelligent design. Again, that's going to piss off a lot of people. <laughs> Yeah. So I've got two things. I've right. punched him in the face with quantum mechanics, and now I've, I've hit him in the gut with it's, all of science will be subsumed by religion. Oh, they're going to love that one. <laughs> you know what? I can't help it. It's, I'm reporting the news. The right, truth, right. What's really there. Here's an equation for you, for your children. Truth yeah. plus knowledge equals wisdom. Boom. Absolutely. Yeah. That's wild. That's why. And you know, um, with going through this episode tonight, it's fascinating the stuff that you've been been telling us. And Mark, let me ask you this: what is what is your your belief on? Okay, so we have you know aliens, and we have this this anti gravitational technology. Um, you know, you have um, Area 51 and all this crazy stuff that we've had throughout history. Um, boy, what was that? Um, shoot, Mark, you might even know it as well. The supposed time travel 
that the U.S. military did with that. Well, looking glass, but that ship. Philadelphia. Oh, the Philadelphia Philadelphia experiment. experiment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think um, if the Philadelphia experiment was was a real thing and it took place and we do have anti-gravitational technology, are they hiding it for the purpose of they haven't necessarily honed it down to make it safe or they're they on just the right don't... track. Okay. I'll stop there then. So, <laughs> all right, all right. so let's, I'm going to give you the history of the Stargate. It started yes. first with the Philadelphia experiment that was using magnetic resonant fields in, you know, big coils in the ship. Mm-hmm. Great idea. It supposedly came from Einstein. I think what they were trying to do is make the ship radar invisible. Right. Yeah. Um, I, it exceeded in that expectation, and it not only went radar invisible, it went invisible. invisible. And supposedly teleported to another port in Virginia somewhere and went back in time 10 minutes. So if all this is true, and I, I believe it is uh, from my sources who are very reliable, uh, but other people would contest that. Let's just not go any further there. Um the Philadelphia experiment was the first Stargate and they stumbled over it accidentally. And they saw some of the people who were on the ship said they saw aliens in there. So they went interdimensional. They opened a portal. So then the next attempt was the Montauk project. You ever mm-hmm. hear of that one? Yep. Mm-hmm. Stranger things is kind of based. Exactly. On that. Yep. Uh, that was the second attempt used, using magnetic resonant fields. Okay. What was found is that, that that technology is limited, short range, not powerful enough to get you anywhere in the universe or anywhere in time or any dimension or whatever. Very limited. So this is where um, the discovery of um, and in the invention of something called a fractal lens comes into play. And metamaterials. Do you guys know what metamaterials are? No. No. Lay it on us. Definitely not. (laughs) Well, this gets back into a little physics. It's a material that's made, and you can look at it on ResearchGate. It exists now. It's something that they discovered, which is basically a a specially constructed material. Metamaterial is also called a left-handed material. Basically, you construct this material in such a way that you can – reduce the permittivity and permeability within that material. Remember what I said about messing with those two? Yeah. So when they did this, they, they did an experiment and shine some light into it. And the physicists and the um, material scientists claimed that that light was moving infinitely fast. (laughs) They had some way to determining that and that's, they're putting it in their papers. So that's them. I'm not arguing with them. I'm saying that makes sense because if you mess with permittivity and permeability, you've got some real handy things application-wise you can do. And they're getting into using that to make special types of sensors and, and all kinds of stuff. Well, I had to find these things in order to design the Stargate because I needed something. I say it right at the beginning of the chapter. And when I'm writing this chapter, I'm having no idea how I'm going to design it. I'm hoping I find the information I need, and I did. Uh, I said, something, if you're going to build a Stargate, something has to go faster than the speed of light. 
and now I got it. So yeah. fractal lens can be, you can shine a beam into it and the light is suddenly everywhere all at once. And now you have a way of vibrating space because when that light beam comes out of that structure, it's going to create an electromagnetic shock wave when it goes down to its, um, you know, light speed when it hits normal permittivity. Right, permittivity. Right. It has to slow down, but it'll be highly compressed to frequencies unheard of. Wow. And that's how you open a portal into other dimensions and times and other regions. Okay. You have to modify that space right. in a different way than, a, you know, what I'm talking about with the the slipway bias drive. This way you're, you're creating a doorway into another region. So the framework is this uh, fractal lensing mechanism. And maybe with the combination of a high frequency sound or whatever, you get that air and that and that space to vibrate, and it just opens up into another dimension. Or I would love to know the mathematics and the physics that goes into determining all of that, because you know you have a whole nother. If you're going to open into another dimension, the laws of physics are most likely not going to be identical. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, there's going to be some interesting things coming out of that portal. So there are some theories about portals being used as a military application. Um, and I believe it's the Air Force specifically. There is a mission patch that says a lifetime of silence behind the green door. And the green door, for anybody that loves to play video games, has always been kind of a term as a portal. Right. So some of the theories are is that this elite, you know, whatever type of group it is, operates from getting from place to place using a, a quote unquote green door portal, which in my mind, I would uh, think of it as a as a uh, stargate. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the green door. I've noticed in my readings of UFOs, sometimes UFOs appear up in the sky from a green mist. Mm. And I think the Philadelphia experiment they reported. They mentioned green mist. Oh, man. So, green mist. Uh, it's time to connect the dots. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it is. So, green mist, uh, there's something going on with the spectrum. And so, yeah. you, when you open a portal to another dimension, apparently it creates a green mist. There's a refraction of light in and around or near the portal. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, exactly. And we know uh, Chris and Brian, I'm, you're not a huge beach guy, but living out here in Southern California, when you go down to the beach and watch the sunset, if the day is clear enough, once the sun peaks behind the horizon, it will create a green flash. Right. So we know that the refraction of light will create a green flash. It's, but connecting all this stuff is uh, is pretty wild. It's, it's a lot of fun. Here's, here's the thing, too, is like if it, if at any point from now until the end of this worst fucking year in history, if all of us just start floating, I'm going to shoot Mark an email and be like, bro, whatever you're doing, turn it off. <laughs> just shut it down, turn it off. I think we're pretty safe from uh, just general anti-gravity. Yeah. Core goes bad. That's yeah. in my book too, but I, I actually don't get into the unstable core theory. But if you look at my T-shirt, kind of suggests that. Oh, um, oh boy! I think not only do stars have neutronium cores, but 
I believe all planets do. That's how they're formed. You have to have a gravitational source. You know, mm-hmm. rocks and stuff aren't just going to come together. Right, right. There's not enough gravitational strength to, to hold them together like that. And there's not enough gravitational strength to draw in gases that are just out there in an unpressurized manner. The gravitational force of a big cloud is nowhere near strong enough to overcome the orders of magnitude greater repulsive force of the hydrogen atoms. Right. It's just not going to happen. And if you ask physicists to explain that, they get kind of fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we haven't really worked that out yet, but it must be because stars are born. You know, huh? Well, hey. You need a gravitational source, and that source has got to be neutronium. So guess what? Every star out there, I'll bet you anything, has a neutronium core in it already. Yeah. Right, right. That's crazy. Mark, let me so, ask you this. Oh, sorry, Wade. You, no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, the, you, you mentioned here the technology of the supercar. Right. Um, so... As you write here, basically, it's the description of cars that are equipped with anti-gravity drives. Do we already have that technology? Well, a UFO is basically a supercar. Right. The, the ones that the, the U.S. has built, I'm sure, or you could call them that. But when I talk about a supercar, I mean, that's for you and me. Mm-hmm. Uh, awesome. Jetson, baby. I want one. You know, what you would call a hovercraft. Uh, yeah. You don't need, really need the wheels anymore. Yeah, so it would look a lot like uh, Luke Skywalker's right, speeder. Yeah, the speeder, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, this this car would change the world, the freedom we would have, and the security, but mainly the freedom. I mean, mm-hmm. imagine you know, I say in my book, I said, "Hey, imagine waking up in the morning saying, I think I like to go to Paris and have breakfast." You can get in the supercar and you can be there in five minutes because you know what? You can go 50,000 miles an hour or more. And the way the slip field creates itself, you have a buffer, the air. You don't, there's no shock wave. There's no sonic boom. You move through pace. You just slip right through with no friction because the field is moving all the gas out of the way and you're in the bubble and you can go whatever speed you need, 50,000 miles an hour. You're there in five minutes. You're having breakfast in Paris. Then I think I like to go to Rome and have lunch. Another five or 10 minutes, you're in Rome having lunch, do a little shopping, get a little sleepy at around two or three in the afternoon. You hop in your car, you're back at home in your own bed, taking a nap. All in the same thing. You can't do that with a jet. Yeah. My thing, I want to go to Tahiti. You want to go to Tahiti? It's going to take a day and a half, two days, you know, nonstop practically. (laughs) That's a pain in the butt. Mark, Mark, don't lie to us. How many of those do you have? <laughs> I hope I, I hope I live to see it, but you know, I I hope I'm not fixing cars at that point because I can't imagine the complaints of how it took seven minutes instead of five minutes to get to Paris. Well, there are some problems. You know, you got to have a world, a global navigation system. Right, you, you can't be zipping around at fifty thousand miles an hour and just hit somebody. You know, you're not going to oh, survive man. that accident. That was my question with. Because you said it slips through and you're not dispersing anything else around you. Can you collide with other people, you know, yeah, across the pass? Absolutely. If you know, you're going 40,000 and you're going 50,000 and you just 
I mean, I'm the odds are small. I don't, I don't want to take that uh, collision report. I, I don't want to write that <laughs> won't report be out. Either one of them. Yeah. Crap. <laughs> you know, unless it's you hit a wing or something. But yeah. you don't really need wings. But um, so you got to have a global navigation system, a computer system that knows where you are at all times. You have to have a flight, just like an airplane does. You, right, right. You, you're going to be at a thousand feet going 50,000 miles an hour. You're going to start here and end here. And it's got to know all that. And so every car, right. has, it's got to be linked into that system and it's got to be all real time. Yeah. You know, that, remi- that reminds me of is um, that scene from Harry Potter when he's on the bus and he pulls oh, that night, lever, the night, the night bus, yeah, and it's like, yeah. boom, 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 like through everything, you know, and then <laughs> he's like zipping around at the like, uh, as fast uh, as it can go. It, it will be unnerving <laughs> if you have windows, if you're really close to the ground or something, because going 50,000 miles an hour is wow. Okay. Yeah, you're just going to start puking in your cab everywhere. Don't look at anything. <laughs> no, you're not flying that because, you know, any little turn or st- and you're thousands of feet in another direction. Oh, yeah. It's got to be completely computer controlled. You got to have autonomous everything to the max it can't be cheapo you know stuff made from <laughs> made country. yeah made in china no made in china parts here bud redundancy <laughs> everywhere yeah uh, but it's possible and it will be someday i i feel confident i don't know if it'll be in my lifetime if i succeed in getting my message out and people do the experiments somehow i i make it through and that happens then we you guys certainly have a shot at seeing this that would be incredible my kids yeah definitely yeah yeah that would be incredible that's amazing Um, so so where did this journey start for you especially your fascination with with albert einstein uh, well, it started when I was 10. Then I was going to catechism. I'm a Catholic, and um, the nuns wanted us to find a saint born on our birthday. So I went home. There was no internet in 1965. Yeah. <laughs> and there was, the, you know, how do you look up something like that? Yeah. You know, I asked my parents. Uh, and I wound up going to the calendar. It's funny. I still remember this. You would think this is an insignificant thing, but I still remember going to the calendar and seeing Albert Einstein's name on March 14th. I said, huh, for who he is. So I went to the Encyclopedia Britannica and I looked him up. Awesome. This guy is really interesting. And while I was at it, I stumbled over the unified field theory and I read about that. And I said, it just resonated in me. I said, this really makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I want to know this before I die. <laughs> it's funny how you remember certain little yeah. things like that. And the rest of my life, I just kept reading. I became very interested in science at that point. And, you know, reading about UFOs to me was checking about how the unified field theory would work. You know, I would mm-hmm. get clues. Everything I watched was a clue. And, um, I just put all the clues together. I saw patterns in nature. That's kind of what I do best. I see patterns in things, and then mm-hmm. I make sense out of those clues and patterns. I yeah. found meaning in them. So uh, that's how I got into it. It was just a fluke 
thing that uh, I don't believe was a fluke at all. Yeah, I was I was just gonna say I don't I I don't agree with uh, you saying that that might be an insignificant memory because it's brought you all the way to this point. Um, so I think just seeing that name on the calendar definitely sparked this whole thing for you. Yeah. It definitely did. Yeah. I don't, I don't believe in. I just don't believe in flukes or coincidences. No, no coincidence. There's no coincidence. Yeah. Well, you're right. It's all synchronicity. It's yeah. Well, like how how else do I get into the spiritual realm? Well, there's there's story to tell there. Definitely. So, when I was 20 years old, <clears throat> interesting. Every 10 years. Now, when I was 20 years old, uh, on the community college here and there was a professor that talked about a place called Casadega. Have you guys ever heard of it? Oh, no. It's in Florida. It's near Orlando uh, near Lake Mary and it's the, the spiritualist capital of North America. The town is loaded with psychics. Oh, wow. And they all come there. They all live there. They, you know, they have their spiritual church. It's, it's a, basically a Christian church, but it's, uh, uh, it's spiritualism, so they're basically right. saying there is an afterlife, there are spirits, there are angels, all that. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was talking about it. I said, hey, let's go over there and we'll do that. We'll, we'll go get our fortune told. I said, man, that's going to be fun. So I got with a bunch of guys and talked them into it, you know, just kind of regular guys, football guys, you know, all kinds of guys. And we got in a couple of cars and he said, we'll go to Daytona Beach which this place is halfway between here and Daytona. Okay. Stop off there. It was an October day. It was gray, overcast, windy. We pulled into town and it was like spooky. It was spooky. Just like the guy said. Yeah. (laughs) Spooky here. And uh, while we're driving, the song comes on the radio and it says this, distant hands in foreign lands are turning hidden wheels causing things to come about that no one seems to feel. All invisible from where we stand, the connections come to pass, and all too hard to comprehend, they affect us nonetheless. So Whoa. I thought, hmm, wonder what that's all about. That's pretty <laughs> coincidental. All right. So we move forward, we get there, and we get into town, we pull over, and... Um, the wind blowing, it blows a branch off the tree and it hits these guys' car. Boom. They get scared, they leave. Football <laughs> guys. We're yeah. getting out of here. I remember that. <laughs> getting out of here. <laughs> so they left, and it's just me and this guy named Jeff Jones. So we called him Duff. And uh, we knocked on one place and we see people open the blinds and then close and then they go, wouldn't come to the door. Did that a couple of times. We finally, we finally found this. Old, sweet old lady, her name, amazingly, I remember it, Martha McKay. And she lets us in, and I go first, and then the Duff goes. And she gives me a reading. And the first thing she says, very unique thing, that's why I remember it. She says, in your final days, you'll be a spiritual teacher. I thought, well, what am I going to do with that? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And uh, then she told me about my life. She told me I'd get into electronics. She told me about this thing I was inside of. She was right. I was eventually in this thing with wires and computers. And I said, ah, that's what she saw. Mm. And she told me I would be married, have two children, you know, everything exactly right. She got everything right. And, but it was a normal reading, like anybody. You know, you talk about your family, your friends, your career, nothing unusual. 
Right. The other guy went in and he had, you know, oh, she told me I had two spirit guides. That was very interesting. A man mm-hmm. and a woman. And uh, then he went in, he did his thing. We got in the car, we you know, left and we drove to uh, Daytona on the way there. And we were just talking about our experience because it was pretty cool. And um, he said, boy, Mark, that's really interesting what she said about you. And I said, what are you talking about? I, I it was nothing really special that she told me. And she says, oh, yeah, you're going to be famous someday. You're going to make a discovery, something important. Whoa. But I can't remember anything more. And I said, well, that's interesting. I wonder why she didn't tell me that. I'm <laughs> in there. Why wouldn't you tell me that? That's kind of important. Yeah. And I thought about it and I says, she didn't tell me because they told her not to tell me Mm. directly because they know I would ask questions. Yeah. Uh, Hell yeah. You want, I want to know about that. Let's, (laughs) let's get right to that part. (laughs) But you know, now I'm in the car. I can't, we're halfway to Daytona now. Yeah. I says, well, I can't go back and ask her. So I just kind of stuck in my head. And so I had a lot of weird spiritual thing, and it gets weirder as time goes on. There's yeah. some gaps in there, like 20, 30 years where I don't really do any mediums or anything. But I definitely saw many guardian angels save my life one time. Wow. I mean. Tell, tell us about that. Well. It's an ordinary day. I'm driving home from IBM, uh, and I, I hit a T intersection. So I have a choice. I can go right. It's it's more traffic. It's a little bit shorter, a little bit quicker, but a lot of lights and stuff, and I hate that one. I go left, and it's like country roads, and it's real peaceful and, and quiet. It's a little longer, but it's a lot less stressful. Yeah. So I'm thinking, yeah, I'm going to go left today. And as I think that, I hear this voice in my left ear say, don't go that way. I whip wow. around because I, it's not in my head I'm hearing this. It's like somebody is right next to my ear. Yeah. I heard an audible voice, a male voice. And, and I look behind me. There's nobody in the car. Yeah. And, uh, that, 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 that can be. Mm-hmm. And then I'm getting right to it. And he said, don't go that way. So what, what do you think I, I did? You didn't go you, that way. You went that way. <laughs> I went that way. Oh, no. Come on, guys. Where are you at? Come on. But, you know, that was stupid. Yeah. Because how often the – now, this happens to other people. If you dig around, you'll find a lot of stories about oh, yeah. guardian angels save people's lives. Yeah. My, my father-in-law has a, a, a few stories very, very similar to what you're telling. Uh, I, all my, over the place. My wife and father-in-law just recently, we were in an incident that took place and we had rolled up on an accident scene and we were taking, trying to help this poor family that had overturned their car. Uh, two of their kids had been uh, killed in the incident. And um, we were trying to get the other four kids and the parents out of the car and a voice spoke as clear as day to my wife and my uh, father-in-law and to the point where they both like looked around. They both heard it. They both heard it independently. They didn't say anything about it to each other until afterwards. And they both said, yeah, a man's voice told us, don't worry. Help is already on the way. So we could keep focusing on what we were doing. Mm-hmm. 
rather than behind it. That's that's the important. And, and they follow, kept doing what they, they were doing. Me, you needed to be guided there to make sure to do the right thing. Correct. And, they, and so they they do that. They have that power, that capability, but it's it's uh, what's the word? It's used in reserve, very conserve. It's without. You know, they don't just do it all the time. Exactly. Correct. It's, it's, it's got to it's be an, something big and important. It's something, it's something big that's happening or transpiring and they're helping you and they're guiding you. Like they have that hand on your shoulder that you feel or that voice. Hey, this is the time. This is very important. Don't stop what is happening. Get right. focused and, and keep going. You know, right. I just did something that will stick with us forever. My family. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so this happens all the time, but I'm a skeptic kind of a little bit yeah yeah uh, the science part of my brain was kicking in and i says i gotta see this was real yeah mm-hmm. not thinking that hey you know he's doing that because you're you're in you're about to encounter what what they call an exit point <laughs> an exit point is where you die before you're supposed to yeah oh gosh and not knowing oh, about that at this time, I'm thinking, well, okay, if it's going to be bad, it's going to be an accident, it's going to be a head-on collision, I'll just try to follow something big, like right? a van or a truck. So I got behind a van, I'm following the van, about three-quarters of the way home, you know, because I'm looking ahead the whole time, look, right. looking for And sure enough, there's this pickup truck. And it's swerving wildly. I mean, it's going into our lane, going away across off the road, coming back on the road. And it's doing this over and, and the cars are dodging this guy or whoever it was uh, who's driving like a maniac. And I'm saying, he's coming at me. So the car, the van in front of me, he bails into the ditch and I'm turning my wheel as hard as I can. I go off the road into a ditch and this guy misses me by inches. Oh my gosh. And the truck and he spins around and he stops in the middle of the road. And I says, what the hell was that? And, you know, fortunately he didn't hit anybody. But if I had not have been warned, I wouldn't have been looking, daydreaming, and kaboom, I would have been head on with that guy, and then the story would have been over. Right. They had to, they could see ahead, so they could see the future. It's like being in a helicopter, seeing everything. They say, hey, they know this guy is going to do this at this point, and he's going to be there. We got to say something and prevent this. Mm-hmm. So, and this is for everybody. This isn't just for me. This, as you know, this is happening all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. I actually have many stories where this oh, yeah. kind of thing happens. So, the point to take away what, what should we remember about this is that everyone, 8 billion people, all have guardian angels. Yeah. All assigned two, one, two, or more guardian angels. And they, you have people coming in and out as well mm-hmm. during different times in your life. And they're here to protect you, help you, guide you, but they don't live your life for you. Exactly. Yeah. I actually had a run in with a gentleman. Uh, we call him the wizard. <laughs> We've been calling him my, my wizard because I, I had a run in with him. Uh, it's obviously it's been a rough year for everybody, but um, December of last year, a company I worked for, they told us um, right before Thanksgiving that we had 29 days until the business closed down. So you know, I've got, I've got my wife, I've got three kids to take care of, I've got bills to pay and things like that. So it was very rocky time. We had to figure out what we were going to do. So I found a job at another place and, uh, 
while I was walking from one place to another, I, I run into this, this Indian man, young man, probably about the same age as me, but he seemed a lot older, if that makes any sense at all. And, uh, he, he stopped, I was walking behind him and he stopped and he kept looking at me and I, I kept acting like I, I wasn't looking at him, look at me. <laughs> and, and he told me I had a lucky face and I said, well, I've never heard that before. I, that's, that's very, that's very cool and unusual. You know, I appreciate that. And then he, he asked if he could walk with me and I told him, yeah, of course. And, uh, he said, do you mind, or he starts, he just starts spouting off things that have happened in my past and, and things that have happened within my family, things that I've never shared with anybody outside of my wife and I, and I immediately goosebumps and I didn't know what to think. I've never seen this man before. I'm thinking, is he following me? You know? So he asked if we can sit down. And he does a reading with me and uh, he tells me, you know, everything's going to be okay. You're very, very worried about things. You've had an extremely tough time um, in the last, you know, six months, but I want to let you know everything's going to be okay. You need to stop worrying. And uh, he asked me, you know, what some of my biggest fears were. And, and I told him my biggest fear is something happened to me and I can't provide for my family. So he gives me this bead off of a prayer bracelet that he had. And he said, tell your wife to keep this with her always and she'll be protected. And, uh, it, it was, it was, it was the, the weight that I felt lift off me was incredible. And it's not like the guy gave me a million bucks and said, pay all your bills, everything. My day was still the same, you know? And, but the, the things that he had told me, and the, the way he made me feel about it, it changed my whole entire outlook. And um, it's, it's very difficult to put into words about how it made me feel. But it was it was um, it was definitely life changing as far as seeing from a different perspective. And, and I've never experienced it before. And uh, I but I but it's one of those things where I, I, I crave that experience again because of how relaxing it was i know the feeling it's like a peaceful feeling like everything is going to be okay yeah exactly you get that feeling you're like i get it sometimes i'm just sitting in the backyard and i feel everything is okay everything's gonna be all right don't worry about it and it's a good feeling it's hard to hold on to but i know what you're talking about yeah Yeah. that feeling Without a doubt, man. This, um, as we get towards the end of the episode here, uh, Mark. One again, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing this information because it's been absolutely incredible. Um, uh, Chris, boy, do you have any other questions for Mark before we before we wrap it up tonight? Not at the moment. Um, uh, like Big Country said, I'd just like to to thank you also because uh, th- this stuff. This isn't, you know, on this type of show, this isn't the type of, these aren't the type of things that we typically talk about, but it's extremely interesting. And I think it's important also, um, especially if, if we can start to apply this stuff practically to our normal lives instead of chasing string theory and things like that. Um, it would definitely, I think, put us on a better, better course. How much longer can they cover up the uh, anti-gravity stuff until we start getting some of these badass speeders? And, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm seeing some signs like they may be willing to um, give up the ghost on this because they let the Navy 
uh, with the Tic Tacs come out with all the yeah. videos and stuff. That's unheard of. They mm-hmm. usually bowl into there and take all the tapes, take, clear all the uh, all the computers of everything, and that stuff just drops out of sight. And, no, and they tell the pilots, shut up or your career is over, and yeah, you never hear anything. But in this case, the Navy all of a sudden – just yeah. says, oh yeah, well, yeah, quite a strange incident. Here's some tapes. Take that. Take a look at that too. <laughs> right, it's never happened before. So something's brewing. And now these guys are going out and they have a TV show where they're talking about this and more and all the stuff they've been doing. So yeah. it's like they're slowly peeling the layers off of the mystery, and maybe they're getting ready to say. Uh, yeah, we got this technology. We got a 70-year head start on everybody else. We're feeling pretty good right now. Wow. Yeah. I, 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 think, I don't I think, think you're going to build anything that can compete with us right now. Yeah, I think that's uh, – maybe it's just wishful thinking, but I, that's where I think it's coming as that – more and more, more of that information that, like you said, the Navy stuff coming out when I was seeing some of the videos that they were releasing. I was like, holy shitballs. <laughs> this is big stuff. I mean, yeah, it was – it, it came out and then it's like gone. No one's even talking. Well, this year is kind of throwing yeah. everybody off. Yeah. But I think that it I think seems like coming. that video came out years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think something's coming. I think it's in the works. And I think you're right. I think that they're going to release it. And they're going to be like you said, hey, guys, we're about 70 year, years ahead of everybody else. We're going to be fine. You know, this is a technology yeah. that we have, you know, for ourselves and that we're going to you know, hold over everybody and they're well, just going to be in, in the process. They already have it. I, I suspect China has, uh, has their own. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least one other country. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be wild, man. If this stuff actually does surface to the level of well-known knowledge, you yeah, know, things that are normal will change, you know, yeah. 150 years ago. Hey, you told somebody there were going to be airplanes in the sky that, that it locked you up. Now, airplanes are normal, you know, flying around. Now, another 20 or 50, 100 years, whatever it's going to take, there'll be speeders zipping all over the world. The globe will be going to other star systems. Uh, We'll, you know, aliens will be here. That will become normal. And it's like, wow, they didn't have aliens back in 1945. (laughs) Yeah. But normal is going to change. Without yeah. a doubt. Without a doubt. Mark, where can people find more about you and your research, and where can they get a copy of your book? Uh, I'm on www.super-relativity.com. Uh, that's my website. I got a blog there. Uh, I've got uh, uh, an interview thing where you can see I'll post this link when you guys get this up. Uh, on there so all my interviews are on there so you can get lots of interesting accounts and uh, explanations Um, got all that going and you can get the book Uh, right now I I sell a signed copy from my website but I don't know if I'm going to keep doing that for right now it's available but uh, mainly you get it from Amazon I'm on Amazon Master of Reality and I have the link that goes right to it on, from my website on the main page. You can buy the book or the, the ebook, and, and that's the only place you can get it other than my website right now. Awesome, awesome, man! I had, it's like I want to read it, but I'm like, again, I'll be like reading it. And you'll be surprised. Everything you read will make sense. The theory 
it links together and I take you through it from the ether. I build layer after layer and, you, and you know, you might have to, I even mark the sections that are too technical just to avoid them. Okay. You may not want to read about the mathematics that talk about the gravitation. I say, skip that. Oh, right? okay. I have to read it. Right. Uh, but most of the book, there is a few other technical. I should probably should have done that a couple of more times. In <laughs> but, um, most of the book is really sensible, and you're going to find interesting stories about wh- how they're screwing up physics, not yeah. just with the CERN, but how they measure the speed of light. That's a controversy. Uh, mm. They don't measure it right. And there's, you know, speed of light is actually slowing down, and they can't detect that now because of the way they measure the speed of light. Wow. There's a lot of interesting stories about screw-ups in physics yeah. <laughs> that need to be fixed. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, Mark, this has been an awesome, awesome interview. Um, thanks again so much for coming on the show. Um, be sure to go on and check out Mark's website and get a copy of his book, man. Um, no, I, I'm going to uh, snag a snag a copy and, and check it out myself. Make my make my brain even bigger. Um, <laughs> so, uh, hey, that's it for this episode. I want you to get up now. Boy, I want increase. all of you to get up out of your chairs. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Donald Trump, Putin, shit. I'm a human being. God damn it! My life has value. Has value. My balls are hot. My balls are hot. My balls are hot. My balls are hot.